Hello, kids. Oh, we will start. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome to episode 19? I thought we finally hit 20. Yeah, but we're recording out of order. Oh, okay. I think it's 19. Okay. Of Hello, Fellow Kids, the podcast where Josh and Mara get really confused. Yeah, you guys know this. It's October, and it's spooky! So we read a spooky book. Yeah, we venture back into child horror, and, uh... I mean, we didn't go with Mary Downing Hahn again, because she kind of disappointed us last time. We're reading Small Spaces by Catherine Arden, who is a new author to me, even though she... I've seen that book around that she wrote that was for adults. It was like the bear, bear and the, the nightingale. Yeah. yeah. Is that the one where the lady has a relationship with the bear, and they, like, do it? Maybe it's the... Is, is it the sequel to Kristen Hannah's Nightingale? Like how Ant-Man and the Wasp is the sequel to Ant-Man? And so, like, there's, like, the nightingale... Uh-huh. And then she meets, like, a, a really nice, big, hairy, gay guy. And now it's the bear and the nightingale. That'd be kind of cute. <laughs> I, <read that>. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read the nightingale. Have you? No. Okay. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, this is an author that uh, I've at least heard of. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't read any of her uh, younger reader stuff. And there's already a second book to this series. But I guess it is kind of a series where these children just... Have a really bad time once a season. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the fall story. Um, they go on a field trip, class field trip, and like their bus breaks down, and then supernatural things happen. And I thought it like the, just looking at the cover. There's a very good cover because then just looking at like oh they go on a field trip and something goes wrong. That's exactly what the book is about. That's exactly what the cover looks like because you see the bus in this field with all these creepy uh, scarecrows everywhere. And you know nothing good's gonna happen. Plus, it's blurbed by Arl Stein right at the top, saying "terrifying and fun." So, Every time I looked at the cover, I would like, I would like new. add in layers of it. Like at first, when I just saw it, I was like, "Oh, there's colors and a school bus, sure, kid stuff." And then I looked again, and I was like, "Oh, and the title's like written into the tree." And then I was like, "Oh, that's a the, so that's a bunch of scarecrows." Yeah. And there's a scarecrow right at the front. Oh, don't look at me like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Every time I was like, "This is a very good cover." I'm, I'm, it's, yeah, it's yeah. really strong. It's definitely one of the better covers. Uh, shout out to Matt Saunders. Okay. Yeah, way to go. I mean, it's a it's such a good cover. Uh, without being like overly like, well, maybe if they're particularly sensitive, like the kid would be all like, I don't want this cover in my room. Right. Because that's how I was as an adult when I finally bought the uh, Al- Alvin Schwartz. The uh, original art for it, yeah. Yeah, I was just like, no, I don't want these scary stories to dark in my yep. room. Yep. Even though I was like 30 at the time, I'm like, no. <laughs> Like, I, I mean, when I am 30, because I am... Fu- oh, fuck it. Whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's what happens. It's super it's supernatural. And um, looking at the cover and, like, like oh, the, the bus stopping in the middle of, like, this creepy area reminded me of um, Jeepers Creepers 2. I never actually saw it, but I remember the trailers for it. And essentially, the bus of high school students stops in the middle of nowhere. I think it's, like, a field and stuff. And the creeper starts hunting them down. That's what it reminded me of. Yeah. And uh, we're about to get into it, I guess. Yeah. So you open it up and it's got like best middle grade book of 2018 by all these different publishers and then a bunch of reviews. Mm-hmm. My favorite review in here is from School Library Journal, which says, a winning combination of thrills, chills, humor, and heart. Uh, hand to fans of Holly Black's Doll Bones. Yes. And readers who enjoy the works of Mary Downing Hahn and Jonathan Stroud. Uh, Jonathan Stroud is the author of the Bartimus series, like, which yeah. I'm working on right now. Uh-huh. So I was like, but, oh, wow. Yeah. 
all those points. <laughs> See, I just bought it because I saw the cover. Right. That R.L. Stein blurbed it. I didn't know how up our street it was going to be. Yeah. But uh, Pretty up. <laughs> yeah. It is it, it is definitely could be like the soul cousin of Dollbones. Yeah. I was um I was thinking that it was a little bit like Dollbones meets Riverland because Riverland has the idea of like kind of a... A, a sort of a semi-parallel world that you use to like get through your own like emotional state yeah. um and it's got that but i think it's it like overlay is much better right um mm-hmm. and like i actually understood what was happening there <laughs> <laughs> but yeah overall i thought it was pretty strong fleshed out characters yeah a genuine parts where I was like, nope, nope, don't like it, uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a couple of those. <laughs> I Okay, so uh, yesterday, my mom and my brother, uh, he had another eye appointment, mm-hmm. so they were gone all, they were gone all day. It was in Seattle, and it was like forever, and um, my mom was like, yeah, when we get back, we'll do grocery shopping. I'm like, cool, okay. So, uh, like sometime around two in the afternoon, I was like, Okay, I'm going to sit down at the table. I'm going to have my book and my notebook. I'm going to read this and take my notes until they get back. They didn't really... <laughs> they came back around 6 because traffic was terrible. Yeah. And uh, there was a huge just cluster bunch at the doctor. It took forever for him to finally see a doctor. And That's my favorite that. movie theater snack. Cluster bunch? Cluster bunch. <laughs> I heard a grown man say it. I'm like, I'm going to use that. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. But uh, anyway, while I was reading this in like one, because he- I started, I picked up right when the bus breaks down. Oh, right, because you read a few I, chapters So I read that all prior. in one sitting. Okay. So the, the, the so whole rest of the story was all in one sitting, sitting at the table. And at one point, I got up, I went and I locked my front door and then sat back down. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, I, was, I didn't lose any sleep, but while I was reading it, I did get spooked. So it's good. And I've read quite a bit of scary things. I've seen a lot of horror movies. And this was, like, it's it's fun spooky without being like, now I feel sick because it's too scary. Right. It's just a good amount yeah. of, like, spooky. Like, if you were reading this and someone suddenly came up alongside you, you'd scream and toss the book up and be all <laughs> like, what do you need? <laughs> all right, do we want to start the synopsis? Uh, yeah. So. 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 <clears throat> Chapter one. We are introduced to sixth grader Olivia Ollie Adler, who's very good at two things. The first is math. So good, in fact, that she should be at least two grades ahead. She does not want to do that, however, for reasons she will not say. Nor does she want to return to the chess club, much to the disappointment of Mr. Easton, the chess club advisor and sixth grade teacher. After class, Ollie notices that big dumb Phil Greenblatt has stolen the notebook of recent transfer Coco Zinter. Zintner. And is showing off her drawing of herself and school hockey star Brian Battersby in love. Brian is pretty non-committal about the situation, but Phil doesn't stop, and Coco is soon in tears. Ollie demonstrates her other main skill by chucking a rock square at Brian's head and knocking him <laughs> to the ground. She pedals off on her sick purple Schwinn before the lawn monitor can discipline her. Sick. Uh, chapter 2. Ollie heads down to her favorite secluded spot on Leth Creek to enjoy the October sun and read an old adventure novel. When she arrives, however, she finds a woman holding a black book and sobbing. The woman isn't making a whole lot of sense to Ollie, but it seems that she made a deal with some mysterious smiling entity and must drop the book in the water before tomorrow. A bibliophile herself, Ollie can't bear to see the book destroyed and takes it from the woman. The woman tries to bargain with Ollie to get the book back. 
She seems less than surprised when she learns Ollie is 11 and offers her some advice. Stay away from large places when it gets dark. Stick to the title of this book. Small spaces. Ollie is understandably freaked out by the whole situation and rushes off. The book's still in her pocket. All right, so that's like a solid introduction to everybody. Yeah. So you really get a good sense of who who everybody is or who they appear to be because, uh, yeah, like we get to know Brian and Coco better later. Yeah. But we see how Ollie perceives them. Yeah, and how Ollie kind of feels... Uh, very kind of like shut away from everybody else. That's very intentional on her part. Yeah, though. yeah, she is. She By has. Design. <laughs> she has constructed this uh, this sort of situation for herself so that you she know something happened, but yeah. we don't know what. Yeah, and uh, the teacher like she sees a lot of um, like the, you get some of it from the teacher in this chapter, but in later chapters, people get sympathy face, and she's like, "Don't, don't do that," and she just she just you just feel her resentment. Of the sympathy face. I hate sympathy face. I'm fine until someone shows me sympathy and I start crying. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, please be sympathetic to people. The reason why I hate sympathy face is because my mom gives it to me when it's not even anything that bad. Like, I'll just be like, oh, I have a canker sore. And she'll be like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, I'm fine. Well, then you just knock everything (laughs) ever and go, I'm dying. Right? (laughs) (laughs) No, canker sores hurt. They do. I kind of do want to give you sympathy face for that. I'm like, oh, dude, have you poured salt on it? <laughs> Does that actually do anything to make it hurt more? It hurts a ton, but it also speeds up the healing process. I don't think you should just dump salt on it. I think you I just, do. Oh, I take. I, I heard you're supposed to like put like salt water and like rinse. No, it what out. I do is I uh, I take a straw and I like pull back oh. my lip and put it over the and then I just pour okay. salt straight into the straw. See, I'd end up with salt all over myself. It's if I tried to pretty much that. the most painful thing I've ever experienced, but then it heals like three times as fast. Cool. Okay. I had one recently, like right under my tongue, so there was just no avoiding it. Yeah. Because if you have it like in your cheek or something, you do kind of keep poking at it. Right. But I was like, "That's on you, dummy." But if it's like right under your tongue, it's like, "Well, I can't just cut my tongue out and like not touch it." I do. I, I do love that our body's solution to like damage is to swell up the area so you're more likely to hit it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the book. Yeah, okay. And, um, bah, bah, bah. Mr. Easton, I I just kept picturing him as uh, Mr. Clark from Stranger Things. Oh, good. As soon as they said mustache, I'm like, it's Mr. Clark. <laughs> he just, like, enters the scene with Maya Bologna playing. <laughs> like, yes. And, um, oh, and this was true to life where, like, she hucks the rock at the kid and he goes down. And then right after everything, that's when the monitor shows up. This right. And just goes like, and she has this, uh, how did I write this? She's had strong Mr. Belding vibes. Uh, if you ever watched Saved by the Bell, the principal Mr. Belding always came in. Like, she came out and went, now, 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 now. And he goes in and goes, hey, 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 what is going on? <laughs> so it's the same, like, ineffectual kind of response. Okay, and then let's get to this river situation here. Where I just kind of wanted to shake Ollie. Where it's like, it's clearly an evil boy. Something evil's happening here. You leave. And right. as soon as I saw the person crying, I turned my bike around I was and just left. like, you've read enough stories. You've probably seen this sort of situation before. You should know what not to do. I mean, it's good that she, it turns out to be good later that right. she got this book. Um, but um, 
Yeah. She goes to the creek <laughs> and she's planning on reading Captain Blood by Raphael Sub, uh, Sabatini, which is... Did you look that up? Uh, it's from 1922. Oh. Well, look who's fancy. Right? No Hunger Games for her. <laughs> no, I think she'd, she'd hate it. She'd, she'd like, you know, because Katniss has had loss. Yeah. So she'd be all like, nope! And, t- <laughs> and yeet that book into the river herself. Oh, I, I said like Ollie's one of those idiots who thinks every book is sacred. I went spoiler, they're not. <laughs> oh, and 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 uh, uh blah, 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 when she, when uh the woman's like horrified and she's like wants it back and Ollie's like, if you don't want it, you don't have to throw it out. You can just donate it. And I wrote, do not give your haunted books to Goodwill. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. You probably uh, have something intelligent to say. No, I don't. Uh, the, oh. <laughs> the woman, the woman asks how old Ollie is, and she's like eleven. And uh, the woman's like, 11, of course. Listen to me, 11. I was like, no, she's in Hawkins. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> All right, I just like that part. It was like when when, when uh, Hopper bursts the door open and she and Max are like on the floor reading comics and Max is like, can you knock? Jeez. And, and Elle's like, yeah, jeez. <laughs> Elle's the cutest thing. She really is. <laughs> yeah, so Ollie's like, Hey, don't throw that in the river. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it. And then the woman's like, uh, avoid large places at night. Keep to small, small spaces. Keep to small spaces or see what happens to you. Just see. And then she runs away, the, uh, Ollie runs away with the book. I was like, why did you keep it, you crazy child? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, never mind. I've made a mistake. (laughs) Or like, I would have just watched her chuck it in the river, then like fish it out and been like, what is this? Yeah. Is it a like... No, seriously, she went there to be alone. I would have, I would have gone there to be alone. Saw her and then like, oh, bye. And like, turned my bike around. There would have been no conversation. <laughs> I suddenly have anything else to do. I have to go now. I have to go to the egg. Uh, chapter three. Ollie returns to her house, which is painted like the Mask of the Red Death by way of Easter eggs. There, her father informs her that Brian's mom called to give him an earful, and the school called shortly after to have Ollie report to the principal's office the next morning. Ollie points out that she was sticking up for Coco, the sort of thing her dad would be proud of, but he knows she knows there are plenty of other ways to help besides beaning the poor oaf. (laughs) And he wasn't even the one picking on her. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He does concede that Coco's mom also called to thank Ollie. Ollie just wants to be done with the whole thing, and after some awkward words with her dad about her mother assumed dead since this is a YA novel. Right. <laughs> uh, she heads to her room. There she inspects the book. Small Spaces, copyright 1895. It begins with a letter from the author, Beth Webster, admonishing to her daughter Margaret that the whole story that follows, the story of Beth and her eventual husband Jonathan, and the strangeness that occurred to them both at Beth's family farm of Smoke Hollow, is true. She tells Margaret not to go back to the hollow, to forget the story once it's told. Ollie begins to read. Chapter 4. Ollie stays up late reading, and the next morning almost misses the exciting chance to go with her sixth grade class to Misty Valley Farm. Thankfully, her dad is there to help her, er, to get her up and moving, despite her trying to fake sickness so she can stay home and read small spaces. (laughs) That's pretty great. In that story, Beth's father dies when she is 17, and her hand in marriage is fought over by her friends, brothers Caleb and Jonathan. Jonathan, of course, wins, and Caleb leaves in anger. He does not return, and after several days, Jonathan calls out for help. In response, a dark, smiling figure approaches. He offers to bring Caleb back on one condition. When he asks Jonathan to follow him later on, he will obey until the mist turns to rain. Chapter 5. 
After enduring more than her fair share of dad jokes, Ollie arrives at school. (laughs) She reports to the principal's office where she finds Brian covering for her? Yes, indeed. He diverts the blame from Ollie and regards his head injury as an accident. Principal Snyder applauds Brian's chivalry, which disgusts Ollie, and lets them both leave. On the way out, Ollie asks why why he covered for her, but didn't stick up for Coco that day. Uh, And he says that if he'd done that, it would have seemed like he liked her. Ollie looks out at the rain and is reminded of when her father came to school to tell her about her mother, and then heads to class. All right, so let's get into this book. That epigraph is very frightening. When the mist rises and the smiling man comes walking, you must avoid large places at night. Keep to small. I would have pulled the covers up over my head and been like, nope. This is my small space. (laughs) This is my small space. You can't get me here. Oh, boy. But I was kind of like, this writing doesn't seem like 1895 writing. But, I mean, that's not really a complaint. Because, I mean, there would have been six pages of description of this valley. (laughs) And And no one got time for that these days. (laughs) I like the house. uh... It it, kind of reminded me of the borough. Right. Uh, it was all, it was all her dad's doing. He's a very like artsy crafty. Yeah, sort he's of guy. the artsy fartsy one and the crafty one, and he's like a real he like makes all like the neat foods. Yeah, um, and he's like, why have a gray kitchen if you can have a green one? He would ask, and I just wrote because some people have taste, Ron. I don't know who Ron is, but I was just like, come on. <laughs> I was like, did, did the, do we know the dad's name? You, Other than you, Ollie's father, uh, I think at one point his name is used, but I. Don't know if I marked it. It's way later, though. Um, but yeah, every house is a or every room in the house is a different color, and I was like, "Mask of the Red Death," but happy. It's the dusk room and the dawn room and Ollie's room. There's like this very sweet little like flashback to uh, her mama. Her mama taking her by the hand when she was a wee one and like walking her from room to room, like, "What's this room?" And then lear- learning to read from like the label, like the sign that they put up on the doors. Which is a cute idea. Yeah. You get kids to, to read. And I really like the fake sick. And he's like, oh, well, if you're going to be sick, then I guess you're just going to have to have dry toast in here and no reading because you might get sick. And she's like, I think I could be better. <laughs> now, if my mom had thought to do that, like take away my, she's like, okay, well, you don't need to be listening to your music or reading then while you're sick. I'd be like, well, okay, I can probably go to school. I'll tough it out. I'll just call if I don't feel good. She comes home and he's like, that you, Ollie? And she's like, no, it's the postman. Someone just sent me a puppy, a kitten, and a pony for my birthday. And he said that she could keep the pony and puppy, but she can't keep the kitty because he hates cats. And it's like, all right, ding against you. I like kitties. I thought your birthday was in April. (laughs) We also learned that she uh, used to be on the softball team, which yeah. explains her arm, <laughs> um, and that she is not going back to that. There's a lot of things that she used to be a part of that she has no interest in going back to anymore, yeah. and that's more of her, like, this architecture of isolation that she's creating for herself. I was bothered by that for a little bit until we get to know Ollie's character even more as we go along, because I was like, why isn't this kid in therapy? And I think she would have just pulled, like, a silence through the whole thing yeah. and spoken. Right. So there's kind of no point in her going. Right. Because she, she doesn't want to and wouldn't, it wouldn't have benefited her in any way. Yeah. So then I stopped being mad about it because I was just like, why are they making her deal with this all on her own? This is so mean. And I'm just like, 
she wouldn't have right. she would have probably refused to go to right. therapy too like she wouldn't even have gotten to the point of just yeah. sitting in the room silently yeah because like therapy and stuff is really helpful but only if you're receptive to it otherwise it'll do nothing for you yeah like uh the little girl in um the thing about jellyfish yeah who's just sat silently through a lot of yeah. the sessions someone was trying to ask me uh it's <laughs> someone we know they were like we were, i was talking about um uh like books that people wanted for school that were on reading lists and she goes yeah and that one like the spirit of the octopus and i thought for a second i was like the thing about jellyfish and she's like yeah that one (laughs) so we should co-write a young adult book called the spirit Spirit of of the the octopus Octopus. (laughs) isn't it getting turned into a movie what the thing about jellyfish yeah god that'd be a sad movie yeah with millie bobby brown starring as Susie. Isn't she getting kind of old? They uh, need to start filming now. I, well, I mean, I would assume that they will be filming by the end of this year if they're announcing, okay. like, casting. I mean, not that she's so super old, but, like, Susie's supposed to be, like, 12. Yeah. So They'll probably like... upscale it to, like, freshman year or something. I don't know about that. I mean, I like her, but I think she's too old. Anyway. Yeah. That's why they only ended up making two Percy Jackson movies, because... The kids all, all aged the up. Kid, the kid... Uh, one of them was, like, already 20-something filming the first one. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you can't do that. mm I heard they wanted to take, like, like a year break in between, like, seasons two and three of Stranger Things. But they saw how fast Finn Wolfhard keeps growing. So <laughs> right. they're just like, okay, let's quickly do this then. Yeah. Before every, he's, like, eight foot Yeah, three. every, every like, <laughs> every six months that they're not filming is, like, a season that they won't be able to have. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in the, um, the Principal Snyder, I was like, Buffy reference. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, what else we got here? Oh, and it's clear Brian's into Ollie, but Ollie's like, what is this dude's issue? So we, oh, that seems like a little trope bingo card we should have for, like, protagonist has no sense of <laughs> when people like them. But, I mean, same Z's, I never have any clue. They have a wood stove called Bernie. Yeah. We're gonna get free college for everyone. <laughs> like, Thank you, stove. <laughs> Shit, isn't he from Vermont? Yeah. <laughs> this takes place in Vermont. I'm an idiot. I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, when her dad was doing all of the... Uh, oh, God, the dad jokes. The dad jokes. I was like, he should tutor pseudo-Alex. <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference between a cat and a comma? Her dad grinned. A comma, he informed her, is a pause at the end of a clause. And she sees her All going, he saw and her she's is like, going, no. And he's like, but a cat has claws at the end of its paws. Like, he knows that she's already there and's like, yeah. please don't do it. He's uh, like, I'm gonna do it. I'm going there. <laughs> did you, did you have the, um, have the I'm too old for a lunchbox and I want a paper bag for my lunch thing? Because no. I had that. No. I had, like, a purple thermosy ba- uh, lunchbox up until, like, probably, like, third or fourth grade. And then I was like, no, I want paper sacks. Oh, maybe I did do that. I uh, left it at school over the summer and then went to middle school and just never got it back. It was a purple uh, uh, Beauty and the Beast lunchbox. But she has, like, a unicorn lunchbox in See, this. But my problem with my lunchbox was, like, my mom made me bologna sandwiches every day for a long time. So the whole inside of the lunchbox stunk. Of just bologna. 
So I'd carefully take my stuff out and slam the door, the, the lid shut again. And apparently other people noticed I did that. And they thought I was really weird. Like, what's she trying not to let out? I'm like, do you want to smell baloney for the next 20 minutes? Because this is how you smell baloney for the next 20 minutes. Get off my tits about this. So I wasn't saying get off my tits about this when I was like 10. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had Get some, off my like, Scooby Doo t-shirt about this. I didn't have one of those until I had tits. So... <laughs> Why did I write this here? I just wrote SVU is now the longest scripting live action TV series. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure why. I'm not sure what that has to do with this book. Just... You know what that reminds me of? When we were doing the first episode uh, with um, the Miss, Mrs. Frisbee, and I wrote, oh, so I wrote that story about that uh, Australia in Australia that possum breaking into the bakery and eating all the donuts and, and, and like treats and then not being able to move and they find it all like oh, in a box like the next morning and I was like I don't know why I wrote that <laughs> there's no relation other than that there's rodents in this story and actually there's no it's a, boss, a possum isn't even a rodent it's a marsupial in case anyone's like pulling their hair out it's not a rodent you're so stupid <laughs> There's one guy just sitting in there, like surrounded by like marsupial posters. <laughs> Me and my wallaby Rocco think you're an idiot. How's his modern life? Well, they never tell you in, in the song. They just say Rocco's mom. Is the wallaby. is the new movie out for that yet? I don't think so. Okay, it's pretty soon then. The the Harold one already came out a few years ago. Yeah, Jungle movie. Yeah, and I never saw it because I set up the recording and then something got messed up and it didn't record. So I still don't know what happens. Presumably they're in a jungle. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I got all the tips. On the bus here, again, nothing to do with anything. Uh, there was a car that had this sign posted to the back of it. And it wasn't even, it wasn't a bumper sticker. They had constructed a sign and then just like stuffed it into the crack where the, like their back window like meets the hood or the, like the, the trunk lid. And so they'd stuffed it in there and just said, political correctness will destroy the world before global warming can. They really want to say the N-word, don't they? Right? <laughs> That's always what I think. Anytime it's like, oh, political correctness. I'm like, did, did you want to just call, go back to calling people, like, homosexual slurs and stuff? Right. Is like, that that, it happens so often in, like, YouTube things where it's like, it's like, if I say the A at the end instead of the ER, it's not racist. And I'm like, you just really want to. Yeah, they do. <laughs> it's really weird. I don't know why. It's like when you're singing along with Lizzo. Like, like my favorite thing in the world is, is, is Lizzo right now and her song Juice. Yeah. And uh, there's a, a concert she does for NPR. It's NPR Tiny Desk Concert where she's Oh, yeah, yeah, those are really cool. And she's looking so cute. And, like, I, I hate the color orange, but she's in this, like, bright orange, like, top that kind of goes off the shoulders. And I was all like, I can rethink orange. That looks great. She can rock pretty much whatever she wants. She's so great. <laughs> so she's saying, you know, so, so, so she's playing juice and she gets to the part where she says, you know, the N word in the song. And then I, I, I scroll down to the comments and, um, uh, someone's like, Hey, like shout out to all the white people who are singing along with that song and then stop at that word and then continued. And I was just like, yeah, that was kind of cool that they did that. Instead of all like, it's part of the song, I can say it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to find woke people working in NPR, so that makes sense. That would happen a bunch in uh, high school when we did when we did uh, Huck Finn, is it'd be like, 
you know, we, we need you to, like, uh, do a project based on a, a scene from the book, and it's like, you know, if, if it's in the text, you can you can use that if you're, like, specifically quoting from the text or whatever. Right. And all of the white guys were, like, going out of their way to choose scenes that had that word so that they could do it and be like, look, and I, I, I have a free pass to get away with it. And I'm just like, or he could not okay. suck. Or he could not suck, exactly. <laughs> <sighs> How did we get into this? <laughs> Maybe we should get back to small spaces. How did we how did we get to this from Law and Order SVU and how did that get here in the first place? We got place? lost we got lost in Lizzo's DMs. Somebody <laughs> come get this man. Come get lost in my DMs. What? My DMs. What? <laughs> Go listen to Juice. It's a good song. Chapter six. As the class prepares to head out, Coco insists that Mr. Easton tell the class about the strange happenings of Misty Valley Farm, something her reporter mother has mentioned to her. Mr. Easton explains that in the 1800s, the farm was called something else, foggy, smoky, it's probably not important. It was owned by the Webster family, surely a coincidence. And when the daughter suddenly found herself an orphan, two local brothers fought for her hand in marriage. After marrying one, the other disappeared into the woods. Sometime after, her husband disappeared as well. Uh, the wife passed away, leaving the farm to her daughter, then her daughter's daughter. Though nobody actually lived on the farm in the 20th century. That is, except for a brief stint, where a descendant tried to start up an old-style schoolhouse, which mysteriously burned down and left no trace of any bodies behind. After that, the current owner, Linda Webster, turned the farm into a successful business venture. None of this could possibly foreshadow anything to come, could it? No. Chapter 7. Ollie gets on the bus, concerned that the regular driver has been replaced by a gray, grinning man from the farm. She gets on and, after denying Coco a game of chess, sits on the only available bench with Brian. He asks her what she's reading, and she tells him that if he knew how to read, he could figure it out himself. In response, he casually rattles off a good chunk of Alice in Wonderland. She rethinks her attitude and tells him a bit about the book, but is soon distracted by what looks to be a boy standing at the edge of the cornfield. She looks again and decides it was just a scarecrow. The bus arrives at the farm, and they are greeted by Linda Webster, who Ollie is horrified to discover is the woman she met at the creek. Meanwhile, in the Black Book, the Smiling Man returns for Jonathan, who reveals that Caleb died on the night of uh, Jonathan and Beth's wedding, and was only returned on the condition that Jonathan be taken instead 30 years later. Chapter 8, Too Many Scarecrows. Chapter 9, <laughs> the kids are shown how to milk a cow by a pleasant, handsome farmhand named Seth. Coco tries to go first, but trips and crashes to the ground. While she cries and the class laughs, Ollie slips away. She passes some of the scarecrows and winds up in a graveyard. There, she finds the graves of the Websters, as well as a memorial for those who died in the schoolhouse fire. The bus driver finds her in the graveyard and tells her that only two bodies rest in the three graves. But all four souls, Jonathan, Beth, Caleb, and Catherine, the boy's mother, uh, remain restless. Seth arrives and chastises the driver for cornering the kid in the graveyard. Uh, then takes Ollie back to class. On the way, she asks him if the ghost stories have any truth. Seth responds that there are always ghost stories, no matter where you go. He's right. I mean, considering that there's already a sequel for this, where there's more ghost stories. Mr. Easton brings donuts. He does bring donuts. I love donuts. Though it only mentioned one box, and surely there's more than one box for a whole class of sixth graders, because they're not going to be polite and be like, oh no, thank you, I don't need one. (laughs) I have known people who don't like donuts. And they're like, no, I don't want donuts. I'm like, how could you not like donuts? I don't like donuts. I had a friend who didn't like donuts, didn't like popcorn, and she thought warm soda was the best because it was wow. more flavorful. We're not friends anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the 
like the least of her problems, but like, everyone, <laughs> everyone I've told her told that to has been like, what a psycho. <laughs> I like how it's like, like you can just start there and people already see why you're not friends with them anymore. And you're like, there were actual issues underneath that too, but look at that. That should have been a sign. <laughs> well, that and there was like an assignment in school where she's like, oh yeah, I got to take song lyrics and like analyze them and explain what the song's about. And I gave her... Um, the lyrics of Tiny Dancer mm-hmm. by Elton John. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I looked at it and looked at it and I couldn't figure it out. So I picked from a distance my Bette Midler. She dumped my Elton John song for a Bette Midler song. And not even a good Bette Midler song. Like this really gross, dumb song that's just about how like God doesn't know about your problems because he's far away and didn't really care. That's the message of the song. But I'm sure she was, she like, she's an idiot. So I'm sure she's just all like, no, it's about God watching us. Yeah, from a distance. My mom used to think that the lyrics of Tiny Dancer uh Oh yeah, you was, told me this. Uh, yeah. Count my headlights on the highway. Something about a big girl. Hold me, hold me down and she's so plenty. Even though the song is literally about a Tiny Dancer. <laughs> but, you know, body positivity. Go for it, mama. <laughs> she can just listen to Lizzo. Yeah. <laughs> Don't have to say it because you know I'm cute. Right. <laughs> I liked, I liked Coco being all like, no, you gotta tell us about the ghosts. There's ghosts involved here. We're not gonna, oh, I heard something about ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I clasped my hands on the ca- on the table here and looked expectant. So, yeah, that, yeah, that was me. I was like, I want to hear the ghost story. Oh, and then when they're, uh, I liked that when he's telling the story, we recognize it as what we've read in small spaces, but there's just enough details kind of wrong. Because stories pass yeah. person. So I loved that because it felt more authentic for it to be slightly wrong. Right. So I'm just like, yeah, that's some thinking. <laughs> but I think that's spooky with like all the kids disappearing in that fire. And mm-hmm. they didn't find any bodies. And like Ollie, who has not volunteered in class since whatever happened to her mom happened, is just like, but the temperature of the fire has to be such and such high and burn for like this length of time in order for bodies to be obliterated. There's no way that I could, like a yeah. house fire. She's like, this have... is a problem. Why is no one looking into this? <laughs> Someone get Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Where are the Dufresnes? <laughs> <laughs> we can go on this field trip once we find the Dufresnes. <laughs> they're out in the woods and they're cold and they're hungry. <laughs> oh yeah, basically when she like breaks it down and then... Um, I wrote, like, Mr. E's like, I know, right? And steers the discussion back to the farm itself. F and yawn, bro. <laughs> okay, and the creepy bus driver, who I just called C- CBD in my notes. Have you heard about his oil? What? CBD oil for, like... Oh, I didn't know that. I just had CBD for creepy bus driver. Um, That's too much to write. When they're getting on the bus... Uh, should, mi- should we picture him as, like, um, Chris Farley... As the bus driver and Happy, no, not Happy, and Billy Madison. You've never seen Billy Madison. I have, but it was. Yeah, he's he always ago. rides the drives the bus, and he's all like, "Everybody's eating great, wonderful, no yelling on the bus." <laughs> um, yeah, Mr. Eason was like, uh, "It's time to go, Mr. Bu- Mr. Jones, Mr. was it? Yeah, Mr. Bus, was it? <laughs> <laughs> Works on the farm. Uh, he kindly volunteered to take over for Miss Hodges, the regular bus driver." Uh, such beautiful misty weather. What an adventure we'll have today, hmm? And it says, Ollie, not being part walrus, did not like bad weather. What? Wal- <laughs> Lipstick in my face, <laughs> <laughs> like bad. 
<laughs> Thank you for getting there. <laughs> if anyone heard that, you laughed over it so hard. What? what? Lipstick in my Valentino white bag. There. I was thinking about that just yesterday. <laughs> the teenager setting it up like, I spilled lipstick in your Valentino bag. <laughs> Sorry, we like vines in this house. And his name's Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones and me tell each other fairy tales. She's looking at you. No, I don't think so. There's gotta be someone for me. Sha la la la. I was gonna go with he's smiling at you. He's smiling at you. Okay. Yeah, so she's like, uh, it's called Small Spaces, which you could read for yourself if you could read. And he's just like, well, I only learned reeling and writhing. Uh, and then the different branches of arithmetic. Ambition, distraction, uglification, and derision. And I was just like... So, go to hell, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, she she lost me for a little bit, because like, she's like, when she's in class initially, and he's like trying to call everyone to, ten- to attention, and they're eating their donuts, and they're talking about... Um, the, the farm and he's all like ollie can you because he does this a lot where he calls on her because he right. knows that she's like somewhere else yeah uh so he calls on her to tell the class about the farm and she uh apparently she remembers everything she reads so re- she, she recites like the farm's about section from their website and I wrote, for added dickery she imitates mr e's voice ah come on l ollie fight the real enemy because then she felt kind of bad she was like why'd i do that right and that's i mean that's a pretty common thing of like when you have a problem that doesn't have an easy target, you just choose a different target. She's like, will you quit talking to me? Yeah. <laughs> like, I want to be alone. I'm only here because it's yeah. against the law for me to not be yeah. here. Uh, when uh, when they get off the bus and uh, Olivia sees that it's Linda Webster, who was the crying woman, yeah. just wrote, shoot! <laughs> I wrote, well, gee, now! <laughs> oh, boy! <laughs> that went well. <laughs> One other, one other, like, 80s sitcoms, like, bum, bum, bum. So she's with Seth, and... He's dreamy. Yeah. The little girls are all giggling about how cute he is. He's like a... What's his name from Penderwicks? Oh, Kegney. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She's like, so there is a ghost story? And he's like, come on, kid. There's always a ghost story. Look around. How long have people lived on this land? There's us, yeah, but before us, there were those people in that graveyard back there. Fanny Collar, you saw her, right? On her grave, it says that she married the first white child born in Evansburg. Why do you think that was even a thing? Because before them, they were the Abenaki, and they had this land and farmed it and died on it and wrote their own ghost stories while people died of plague in the streets of London. So yes, there is always a ghost story. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I know, he literally said that in pipe and smoke it to this little girl. I was like, you don't gotta be this big of a turd. But I was like, that's, I was, that's I was... fair. <laughs> Well, I mean, was she arguing, really? She was just asking about whatever. But, um, oh, God, the whole part where the creepy bus driver corners her in the graveyard, I was just all like, not cool, not cool, the whole time. And, uh, okay, he's followed her and starts, he starts doing the creepy sing-songy stuff. I do not like creepy sing-songy. Do not do your creepy sing-songy crap to me. You know, yeah. like, one, two, Freddy's coming for you. I'm like, no, you stop that. I'm going to punch <laughs> you in the throat. I don't care if you're six. But, and then he tells her there's four graves, three stones, but two bodies. Whoa! <laughs> one, cut a hole in the box. Two, don't bury the bodies there because they're in the other rooms. <laughs> three, the souls are restless. 
four. Like just distends his back. Like Pennywise just goes, and you're like, no. Oh, God. So I was really glad that Seth showed up. He's like, how'd I put it? Seth shows up to put an end to this grossly inappropriate shit. GIS. But I don't know. That's like the thing I always do on here where I get all upset. Like, no secrets with children. Don't know. Have some boundaries. And he was like completely over him. Yeah. Okay. And it still wasn't done. It's like she has to like get by him to get into like the barn where her class is. And he's all like, Kathy and Beth are dressing easy. And I wrote, dude, enough. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I can just a picture of like backing away just going. Well, like I did. Whoa. Oh, I saw that from, um, damn it, uh, John Mulaney, or like some, he was using a restroom in a restaurant and like this guy came in after him and said all this like weird stuff and he was all weirded out by it and he, <laughs> he went into his, went up, he like left and talked to his wife like, did you see that me going to that, see that guy going to the restroom after me? And he, <laughs> he says his wife went, John, that bathroom hasn't been in operation for 20 years. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Chapter 10. Ollie returns to the class and Mr. Easton just asks if she needed quiet time in that sympathetic way Ollie is so sick of. <laughs> I It says here the group fathers for lunch, uh, which is... I <laughs> you mean dads? <laughs> they dads for lunch? They papas dads. for lunch? They dads for lunch? Yeah, autocorrect's weird. Uh, <laughs> what I want me? a father for lunch as well. <laughs> I could eat a whole dad. I'm so hungry. <laughs> what, would, what would you like for lunch? My dad to come back. Well, that's not even the parent that's dead. Okay, that's less creepy. That's less creepy. <laughs> Anyways, they have lunch. Sure. And when... It sounds like they give them good... Oh, wait, it's like tomato soup. I don't yeah. like tomato soup. Uh, and with, when Mrs. Webster serves her, Ollie tells her yes. she's reading... Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> she never married. When Ms. Webster serves her... Uh, Ollie tells her she's reading Small Spaces and has some questions. Uh, Ms. Webster unconvincingly says she doesn't know what Ollie is talking about. (laughs) I have a little bit to say about that. Uh, Ollie sits alone but is joined by Coco. Coco thanks her for helping her the other day and expresses frustration with the rest of the class. Uh, She figures Ollie feels the same because she always sits alone. Or she asks, is that because her mom died? Ollie goes off on Coco and the new girl leaves crying. Again. Or tone-deaf Coco. 11. The class, having had their fill of farm life, heads back to the bus. Coco tries to apologize to Ollie, but Ollie does her best to ignore it. On the bus, Ollie reads some more from the Black Book, which tells of Jonathan's disappearance and Caleb offering to go to him so he won't be alone, which Beth goads him into doing. Uh, It was the last time Beth saw either man again. On the way back to school, the mist suddenly grows thick and the bus rolls to a stop. The driver tells the class they best get moving before night falls. And did they come? Yeah, so that really convincing act that Ms. Webster gives when she's like, hey, it's me. I read your book. And I wrote, um, she reacts with fear at first. And then has a Mariah Carey. I don't know her. And I can't read suddenly reaction. What is... <laughs> well, someone's like asking, like, what do you think of, like, Nicki Minaj? And they'd both been on American Idol. Mm-hmm. And it didn't get along. So like, hey, how, how did, what's going on with Nicki Minaj? And she goes, I don't know her. <laughs> and she's like, I know you do. And then I think she's supposed to, like, read a teleprompter about someone she hated. She goes, like, I don't know. I, I can't read suddenly. <laughs> and, like, wouldn't read it. So that's why 
But it's super not convincing. Right. And really hilarious. So <laughs> that's why I wrote Yeah. That. So Ollie goes, so nice to see you again. And then, uh... I don't know you. Ms. Webster immediately, like, <laughs> accidentally dumps the food on the ground. Clumsy of me. Um, no. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, I don't remember meeting you. Sorry. And then I was just like, I'm reading it. I'll give it back to you if you want. I just have some questions. <laughs> oh, oh, I can't imagine what you mean. Go along, dear. <laughs> Go eat your lunch! <laughs> I'll give you more if you I'll leave I'll give you faster. more father if you leave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Why does she get two dads? Because she doesn't have a mom. Oh. <laughs> That's what Coco said. Gosh, that that transaction between Coco and Ollie. Transaction? Ollie's, yeah. Give me your money for your tactless <laughs> comment, you bitch. <laughs> I was like, both of you are like, because she should not have said that. And... I can understand Ollie being frustrated, but then later, I I don't know. I feel like she should have just been like, was, yeah, whatever, it's it fine. It was very blunt. It's yeah. like that part in Napoleon Dynamite. was like, I see you're, you're drinking, drinking 2%. 1%. Per- is that because you think you're, you're fat? Because you're not. You can be drinking whole milk if you wanted. But it just, like, you're already kind of going, ugh, from him saying that. Right. And that next bit, I'm like, okay. Right. <laughs> because you think you're fat? <laughs> yeah, there's, like, all these scarecrows and the teacher comments on the quantity and he's like, where do you guys where do you guys get the time to make all these? And the creepy bus driver's like, they're just there. And I went, not at all weird. He goes, here, all here, eyes open, just ready to be stood up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, no thank you. Yeah. Uh, the black cat. Behemoth. Also, when the bus stops, like in the mist, um, suddenly, suddenly, like it'd been fall, but now like the trees look like winter. Yeah. And it clearly is like, you're just like, what? Yeah. Something has clearly changed out there. Best get moving. At nightfall, they'll come for the rest of you. And then they're like, fuck you. <laughs> then he smiled, tongue flicking red against his teeth. Ugh, that's creep me out until we found out he's like a dog. And then I'm like, okay, that's that's okay. Wow, spoiler alert for the book we're about to spoil in the whole point of this podcast. How gauche of me, my apologies. <laughs> Things are about to go down. Cool. They are. It's going down. I'm yelling timber. Well, what's what's interesting is like, like, the pacing of this book works really well, yeah. but I'm also surprised that it, like, we're almost halfway through the book. The book's only, like, 215 pages, and we're already almost on page 100. Well, something still happens, like, each time. Yeah. So it's not like we wasted... Yeah, I know. It's like we're setting up the characters. Yes. Yeah. We're setting up the situation. We have that really creepy book to kind of intercut things right. with. So we don't, like... Okay, be gross. Like, blow our load too soon with, like, all, the, like, the cool ghost story stuff. It's, like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's more real to, like, try and read it and you get interrupted by your everyday crap. Yeah. Because I was, like, ugh! Like, every time it stopped, because I was, like, I want to read the creepy story! <laughs> but, like, we haven't... <laughs> but that's e- what happens. Cause... We haven't even gotten to the watch, let alone, like, any of the other stuff. Like, yeah. everything's about to just, like, cascade. This is when... This is, the, like, from chapter 12 on... Is when I read I read it in all in one sitting, waiting for my family to come back from the eye doctor, and they never did. Whoa! <laughs> hey, uh, which chapter did you lock your door on? <laughs> Do you have a note for that? I didn't. I should have. <laughs> okay, let's see if you can remember with me. All right, <laughs> chapter twelve. Nobody believes the bus driver, but after failing to fix the engine and noticing nobody's phones work, Mister Easton decides to walk back to the farm to get help. When he tries to fix the bus and she hears Aunt Teacher, like, swearing. <laughs> Sorry, I got kicked um, out of that. Poor Mr. Clark. Ollie notices that her broken watch, which once belonged to her mother, is now flashing a countdown and saying, run. 
She goes to the driver, whose eyes are now completely white. Remembering his voracious appetite at lunch, she offers him a sandwich in exchange for answers. He says that his servants will come for the kids at night, because at night they can move freely. In the daytime, they can only move when nobody is looking, though the fog helps them bypass that rule. The servants will then take the kids to their master to finish the bargain. This isn't entirely helpful, but Ollie decides that moving is the best plan. (laughs) She tries to convince the class, but nobody believes her. She steps off the bus alone, and as she does, we finally get a clear explanation of her mother's death. Uh, Her mother was piloting a private plane which crashed and caught fire. Using the watch's countdown as an approximation for sunset, she heads towards a break in the fog leading into the forest. She sees a scarecrow that looks suspiciously like one from back at the farm, but there's no way it followed her here, right? These aren't weeping angel scarecrows, right? I wrote that in my notes! (laughs) (laughs) She is quickly joined by Coco, who says the kids on the bus are too mean to stay with, and Brian, who thinks they should go back inside. Chapter 13. Brian decides to go with the girls to make sure they don't get themselves killed, which, considering how often Coco trips and falls, is a fair assessment. Mm -hmm. They trudge into the woods... And when the time reaches eight minutes on the countdown, the message on the watch screen switches from run to hide. Brian sees what looks like a person, but it turns out to be a scarecrow. Suddenly, above them, Coco notices a warning written in paint on a tree. We see you. When Brian turns back towards the scarecrow, it's gone. The timer continues to kick down, and in the distance, the kids hear the alarm of the bus's back door opening, followed by a chorus of screams. The timer reaches zero. At that moment, the sounds of approaching scarecrows surround them. The one from earlier moves to attack Brian. The three kids squeeze themselves into a crevice between two rocks, and the scarecrow tries and fails to reach them. Then, suddenly it leaves, and everything is quiet. Cue Brian's hysterical laughter. 14. Outside their small space, the kids hear footsteps. They peek out and see, stumbling within a guard of marching scarecrows, the students from the bus. Unsure why the sixth graders aren't trying to escape, Ollie realizes that there's nothing she, Brian, or Coco can do at night. They resign themselves to sleep in their crevice between the rocks. Ugh. Yeah, that I know. Oh my god, that that watch with the, with the the countdown. I was just like, "Ooh, don't be there when it hits zero. I had I had one prediction about the watch, uh, which was proven wrong in the same section, <laughs> uh, which was I thought that uh, since the watch was broken, it was actually a countdown for like her mom's uh, like jogging routine. And so it was like a countdown of how long to run for. And then, it, and then she was just like reading too much into it. But then when it switched to hide, I was like, that's probably not part of her exercise regimen. <laughs> no, that's weird. <laughs> but uh, yeah, when the countdown, the way you said run, it reminded me of that uh, AWOL Nation song. Yeah. Run. So that's, if they make this, when they make this movie. She should be looking at it, that, and then I go here, and the clock goes, yeah. the thing goes, run, and then you just see her bolting off the bus. <laughs> That'd be cool. And with, like, you... Coco behind, like, yeah. her arms <laughs> flapping like that. <laughs> That'd be really great. I want to see that movie now. <laughs> uh, I like the watch, because it says, uh, the watch gave wildly varying altitudes and completely inaccurate times. The compass did not point north. And I just wrote, all right, Captain Jack. <laughs> what good is oh. a compass that doesn't point north? Uh, it now... pointed somewhere important, didn't it? It pointed to your uh, heart's greatest desire. Okay. Which it would... It pointed to pizza for me. It, it would... <laughs> what are you thinking about? Pizza. What? Pizza. What do you want to be when you grow up? Cupcake. <laughs> Sorry, go watch Ava. She's great. With the run thing, I did write AWOL Nation. Yes. In the book. 
boom, 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 boom. You think of those umbrellas blowing Dude, down I, the beach? <laughs> I saw I saw them on tour with for that album, and when it hits "Run," they have they had like a curtain that just said "A Wall Nation" on it, and then the curtain drops and it just says "Run" in giant capital letters behind it. And I was like, "That's pretty epic." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It makes me feel panicky. I know, but like <laughs> when I in the concert, that's like it. It was like I knew not to panic. <laughs> but outside of that Maybe context, <laughs> like that, you didn't know they were gonna like make, bring a bunch of guys with hatchets. Just going down the massacre. front row. <laughs> there was a massacre at the Wall Nation concert during. The... What and song then... is that? It's not called Run. What's it is. Song? It is. Well, the album's called Run. I thought the song was called Run. Oh. Um. Because it took me forever trying to find that. I was like, "What song is this that plays that?" <laughs> but I, I love that they're like. <laughs> And AWOL Nation could not be held accountable because, in their words, we warned them. Yeah, who said run? <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? Okay. Uh, I just wrote finally that literally halfway through the book we get an explanation of her mom's death. And I was like, thank you for clearing that up. I appreciate that. Well, it makes but. sense that we get it bit by bit because oh, yeah. Ollie doesn't want to think oh, yeah. about it. But I was just like, I was, I was, that was my anxiety was like, can you just, can you please confirm that like she's dead and gone and not coming back and like uh, what, what yeah. exactly? I like that they're walking through the woods and like Coco O'Brien suck at walking through the woods and it seems like Coco's stepping on every single branch she can find and like Brian's not any better at it but like Ollie's good at it because she always like went hiking with her mom yeah. and stuff so she knows how to um, Coco. Also she like is not a fan of these two people and so no. the back blurb explicitly lies because it says it is with ominous warning that 11 year old Ollie and her two friends Coco and Brian set out on a chilling adventure in it's the too, woods. It's too much to explain that Maybe she said two classmates. That would have been better. Yeah, she. I don't think. She, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, the author never word. writes this. No. When the when the countdown switches to hide at eight minutes, I wrote nope. And then when it has we see you in the trees, I wrote nope, nope, nope. Like least, that two page spread. I was like, at least it wasn't written in red. I was like, oh, good. Yeah. It's just written in white. That's good. Because <laughs> it'll be like, where'd you get that? Oh my gosh, these scare. Like, is it common to make scarecrow hands have like rakes on the end of them? And trowels? Is that really a thing? Uh, I've seen it before. I don't think that's the most common way to build I thought, them. I thought they just mostly had, like, gloves that you just... Yeah, or, or you just, you just tie or off them. you tie the... them off. Yeah, I've never... I've never seen... Of course, I don't see scarecrows much because they terrify me. There was an episode of Doctor Who with walking scarecrows. It's in the third season. It's a two-part episode. One of them's called... The episode's called The Family of Blood, and I couldn't remember. Oh, it's Human Nature and Family of Blood. Those two episodes where the doctor goes undercover as a human actually physically changes his dna so he actually is a human and like doesn't have memories of being a time lord really and it's kind of frustrating episodes all right so i google image searched scarecrow and the only scarecrows with tools for hands are the murder scarecrows so no what are the murder scarecrows the ones that murder you that wasn't fun even the ones that murder you, and then I hear this somewhere in the house. I'm like, I don't like that. I'd like to pass. I gotta go lock the door. Run. Yeah. And then he just starts. Molly throws rocks. Yeah. Somewhere. Because Brian completely freezes up. Yeah. Because why wouldn't you? You're like, oh god. Uh, when he just starts. Uh, so they get all tucked away in the rocks, and uh, Brian began to giggle, then he began to laugh. What? 
snapped Ollie, still out of breath with fright, is so funny. Alice in Wonderland, said Brian. Remember? How do you know I'm mad? Asked Alice. You must be, Ollie said, finishing the quotation slowly, or you wouldn't have come here. Brian buried his face in his hands. I just wrote, jeez, this book! Ugh. Yeah, jeez! <laughs> It's like uh, the creepy quiet children's choir singing right now. That is not a fun run. There's a. If local, you can sing, you're not running. There's hard a local enough. fun run going on right now, not too far from where we are, and you can. I'm. I think that's somebody on the megaphone telling the kids to run. I don't know. I don't like it. I don't either. Um. And when it when it uh, shows the hooked onto their curving garden rake hands, stumbling in a silent struggling line came the sixth graders of Ben Withers Middle School. I was just like, oh my God. Like just, like I was all, like the book. The, oh, the that first was part... so spooky. Cause they're, cause they're like walking through the woods and then they hear the alarm go off and like, and Brian's like, oh, you know, my moron friends opened the back of the bus. Yes. But then they hear all the screams and it's just like, oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like and... actual scary oh, things. no. It's really, really bad. Because I, I did kind of like, like go like, oh, crap, when I read that part. I don't, not enough to lock my door. Okay. Well, I guess we'll find out. I don't know when I locked my door. Chapter 15? Yeah. Morning arrives. The kids climb out of their hidey hole, and Coco climbs atop the rocks. And from there, she can see Leth Creek in the farm not too far off. Ollie notices that her broken watch now says river, with a countdown at six hours and change. Brian and Coco thank Ollie for helping them hide, but wonder just how she knew things were going to go sideways. Uh, she finally tells them about the black book, and the kids try and figure out what it all might mean. Ollie wonders if maybe they're in an alternate world like Narnia, which Coco has never heard of because she only enjoys nonfiction books, that wet blanket. Like, they made films. I haven't seen the film, so I can't... Well, the first one was alright. The second one I was kind of bored by I enough that the, I didn't see the third one. I saw one. a BBC one, and I remember my friend being furious with, like, how... Her words, how fat and ugly Lucy is in the uh, BBC version. And she's not a very attractive little child, that's true. <laughs> Brian is concerned that the farm may be where the controller of the Scarecrows lives, and that going there might be even more dangerous. It's the only lead they have, though, so after splitting rations, the kid, uh, the kids begin heading for the river. 16. The kids walk through the woods for a few hours and then find themselves in front of a most peculiar sight. A house. No road leads to it, no power lines, no generator. But a welcoming woman lives there and brings the kids inside. Ollie remembers how this sort of thing went for Hansel and Gretel, mm -hmm. and her watch seems to agree because it now says, Food, with the word crossed out. The woman begins preparing tea and gingerbread for six and says that her two sons will be along soon. Coco can't keep her mouth shut and tells the woman about going to the farm for the day and the kids' full names. She then asks the woman's name, to which she replies, Kathy Webster, a.k.a. the dead mother of Caleb and Jonathan. Suddenly, two scarecrow faces appear in the window. Kathy, suddenly aged, grabs Ollie and tells her to invite the boys in. They never come in, even though she's been waiting for them, listening to their cries for decades. Ollie and her friends make a mad dash out of the house. Sure, they're being pursued by scarecrows. Uh, 17. The two scarecrows from the house don't follow them, but when the kids stop to rest, they find a paintbrush-handed figure standing below a new message in the trees, still watching. Ugh. Ollie's watches change back to River, so after some first, aid, some first aid on their various scrapes, the kids continue towards Left Creek. Along the way, Ollie remembers that when she met Linda by the creek, she had mentioned a bargain. While they don't know what Linda received, they realize she paid the smiling man a busload of kids. 
Ollie finally explains that she thinks her watch may be her mother helping them, which the kids are supportive of. Maybe they aren't so bad after all. Well, they're supportive, like, because so much weird stuff's already happened. She's like, what, you believe me? They're like, well, Scarecrow's been chasing us all day. Why wouldn't your magic watch tell you what to do? (laughs) That's fine. Yeah. And, yeah, that, that showing up at the house... And you're just like, don't, don't do it. And also, do, yeah, don't eat the food. Cause I was, cause it's kind of like this uh, thing in, um, folklore that when you're in these kind of magical places, you don't consume or mm-hmm. anything of theirs. Never eat fairy food. No. I know that. Uh-uh. There was like funny Tumblr post that was like, I went to the Faye, uh, to the Faye Starbucks and I stupidly told them what my name was for the right on the cup, and now they own me. And then someone photoshopped Jareth from like Labyrinth with like a Starbucks employee outfit holding out a cup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but her whole like, I don't like novels. I like books that tell you about real things. I was like, oh, so you're boring. We well, you know for a fact Coco's not boring. She wanted to hear about the ghost stories. Yeah, but before before she said that. When she said Narnia, like she didn't know what it was, I was like, oh god, have we reached the point where Narnia is like an old thing that kids growing up don't know about? Yeah. I don't want to get old. That's what this podcast's for. <laughs> <laughs> Hope I die before we get old. Talking um, about my generation. Okay, can we talk about the fact that the two girls still have food left and Brian doesn't, and the girls are like, what were you doing eating all of your... He's like, I'm hungry. Okay, my counterpoint is that it's not like he knew going into that right. day that he was going to have to spend, like, 48 we, hours in the woods. Yeah, we were on our way home. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but they're like, boys. And I'm like, that's totally valid to have eaten your snacks for the day when you're on your way back from the field trip. I didn't understand what, like... I kind of did. I, I laughed. I'm like, <laughs> Well, it's also part of, like, not planning ahead. So it's like, let's eat everything I have here. I would have eaten all my snacks. Yeah, it would have been like, I'm almost back home. I would have ate both those lunches. Because <laughs> I, I would have probably eat. yeah, I would have eaten both lunches because I wouldn't have eaten the tomato soup because I don't like tomato soup. It's gross. I don't like it. I like a lot of other kinds of soup, just not tomato. Soup. Soup. Black tasting soup. So, written in the trees, it says, still watching, below, a new scarecrow wearing an old-fashioned flower dress leaned against a tree. Both her hands were paintbrush designed just for, oh, you get out of here. <laughs> kick it over <laughs> she just kind of like toddles away sorry oh, now you know <laughs> yeah we, we figured it out thanks we learn not only that is her dad like a good painter and stuff he can bake and he knits um, and he's just an all around very like crafty sort of person yeah. we also learned that um, Coco is a very good climber because she climbs Oh, right, yeah, yeah. She's used to... She's like, I'm not allowed to... My mom doesn't want me climbing outdoors here. Where I'm from, there was, you know, indoor climbing. climbing, Yeah, yeah. So I got really good at that. Yeah, and I like that she's like, she cannot stay standing upright on regular ground, but then climbing, she's like, perfect. Yeah. So I was like, that's cool. I mean, you're you're probably using two different skills. Oh, yeah. So it makes sense. Even though they're both like, that's completely baffling. I'm like, well, different. Yeah. Um, I like Coco. Coco was the Josh of the story. I don't think I was in this, but the, <laughs> the Josh of the story is Coco. <laughs> Except you like novels. That's true, I do. You're like, I like pretend things better I mean, than real I, things. I also do like n- nonfiction, but I'm not going to like... Be a snob about it? Right, and be like that there's only one kind of like good reading. I mean, uh, 
if that were the case, I probably wouldn't have a podcast about YA books. Because <laughs> I'd be like, oh, it's so easy to just dismiss those. Um, yeah. I wrote, uh, when they were talking about the bargain, I guessed that uh, the bargain was to make the farm viable as a business. And traded the children for mm-hmm. that. Even though I was like, at this point in the book, being like, they aren't really hers to give, though. Is that like a valid trade? Right. That comes up. <laughs> Chapter 18? Chapter 18. The kids reach the covered bridge that leads to the farm and find it aged and rotting. Ollie is paralyzed crossing it, remembering that her mother fell and she could fall too. Coco helps coach her across and Ollie realizes that Coco isn't weak. She shows emotion because she has emotion, something Ollie has tried to avoid for the last year. They cross the bridge and Brian points out a familiar scarecrow. It's dressed like Phil. It has Phil's hair. It even has Phil's face, kind of. They realize this is what the smiling man does, turn his victims into scarecrows. Every single one used to be a person spanning hundreds of years. Knowing the only way to save them is to get answers, the kids approach the farmhouse. 19. The kids reach the house, and the message on Ollie's watch changes to up. She asks her mother if she can hear her, and for a moment, the message changes to always. They notice the scarecrows are all facing the house. They head inside. Brian builds a fire to warm them up, and Ollie heads upstairs. There she finds Beth Webster, long dead, but still remaining. She came to this shadow world in death to be with Jonathan, and because she wrote her life story down, she hasn't lost herself like Kathy did. Since she is dead, the smiling man has no power over her. Ollie asks her for help, and the only thing Beth can give her is that the cornfield is the doorway, amazed that there is no hope of solving and that the smiling man resides at its center. She tells Ollie that the kids must go now, and Ollie notices that her countdown only has five minutes to go. 20. Ollie rounds up Brian and Coco, and they head outside. Their time before the scarecrows move freely is almost up, so they head into the barn. It's not small enough to be a safe space, uh, but there is a loft. Too bad the ladder is up there. (laughs) Brian works on keeping the door barred while Coco climbs the post and beam walls, eventually reaching the loft and sending the ladder down. The kids scramble up into the loft, Brian almost falling when the ladder topples. Uh, The scarecrows swarm below them, but they cannot climb. Brian sees the Phil Crow and tries to get through to him by jogging his memories of his human life. Phil regains enough of himself to tell Brian that they all became scarecrowed when the smiling man grinned at them. Ollie decides that they must head into the center of the maze, but not tonight. Despite the scarecrows having no way up, she stands guard while the others get a chance to rest before falling asleep herself. Alright, so it was uh, chapter 19... I'm sorry, but what was the use? You're never leaving this place. Never, 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 never. And I got up and locked my door. So that's that's where it happened. Maybe if there were fewer nevers, but that's a lot of nevers. I was like, okay, good place to stop. I'm going to go uh, lock my door. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I like made something to eat. Oh, do we want to cover first um, Ollie? It's like she didn't cry when her mom died and didn't cry any time since. But it's like, this is where I finally... I know everyone, like, overuses the word trigger and uses it mostly to taunt people, but this was definitely a trigger. Yeah. Um, so, and poor Coco actually did have to, because Coco was terrified to cross this bridge, too, but comes over and takes her hands and, like, talks her back, you know, talks yeah. her out of it. And then Ollie just gets to the other side and just hits the ground, just does all the crying that she didn't do when her mom yeah. died. 
So that was like important for her to go through. And mm-hmm. then she, then like all the, there's, there's a couple other instances here of heights and she's like, oh, she waited to get frightened and she wasn't. So mm-hmm. she did what she needed to do in order to kind of get past that yeah. block. And I also really liked that line. Um, Coco doesn't cry because she's weak. It's because she feels everything. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, because, you know, having emotions isn't actually a weakness. Yeah, it's, it's, it's part of pretty... being human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not a scarecrow. And, uh, okay, so they get to the house, and it says up, and she's telling them, oh, my thing says up. And they're all like, why don't we make a fire? And it's like, how about you go up when you're supposed to go up? <laughs> like, right? Just go up and look, and then if you have time, come back down and, like, do what you need to do. Yeah. And I was just like, what? You follow... The watch has not steered you wrong yet. Just do it. So I was like irritated with them for that. And then she had to go up there and see that scary ghost by herself. And then comes down and it turns out the stove wasn't safe. And they're like carbon monoxided practically like laying there. And and, like they had to physically carry Coco out because of that. And she's all like, that's why you don't start fires in unfamiliar furnaces, you idiots. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Bernie wouldn't have done this. (laughs) <laughs> and it's actually both the kids that are like holding the door shut while Coco cl- monkeys monkey climbs her way up to the, yeah. <laughs> the wall and she lets and then uh, Coco shines a light around to find like the shovels on the ground and then Ollie breaks away for a few seconds to like grab the shovel to like stuff it through the door oh my gosh <laughs> I don't think I've read very many like horror stories where you actually get to like sleep safely and I, that's an interesting, because it kind of resets the tension a little bit. Yeah. And I don't think it severely detracts from this, but I just thought that that was, like, the fact that they get to just go to sleep and then just continue on, I thought was a... They're good act breaks, too. I was like, here's all this stuff that happened. Because yeah. sometimes I feel like in these stories, not specifically like this, but like in horror stories or whatever, where they don't sleep, but yet they still have the energy to keep going through. And I'm like... BS. You'd right. Be, you'd be collapsing. Yeah, so you just give up. You'd just be like, fine, mm-hmm. take me. I was like, whatever. I have nothing going for me anyway. And they're always in, like, realistically safe, like, uh, you know, it's not like, oh, we just fell asleep in a field. I'm like, how did they not wake up on fire? You know, I'm like, be all confused. But, yeah, they, when they, they fall asleep once they're in a safe, somewhat safe, in, the, in this uh, hayloft, though, I liked that they still had watch, because they're right down below. What yeah. if they, like, figured out how to repair the yeah. the ladder? And what if they, like, stood on each other's scarecrowy shoulders and, like, eh, like, reach right. up, you know? So I was like, let's be on top of this and see what they're going to do. I don't trust scarecrows. How about a little fire, scarecrow? Wizard of Oz, if you don't know. I saw that once. Just once? And you're like, never again. I like that movie. I grew up watching it. I didn't. Kind of figured since you only saw it once. <laughs> I guess that's how it works, huh? Yeah. <laughs> 21. Yeah. Morning comes and the scarecrows are back to just being creepy bundles of straw. Ollie's watch now has a countdown to maze. With the ladder broken below them, the kids are unsure how to proceed until a creaking sound above them indicates a tree branch rubbing the rotted roof. They break through and climb out, then head toward the maze. When they arrive, they hold hands and enter together but soon have to proceed single file. After a time, Ollie realizes that she can't hear Coco or Brian behind her. They're gone. She calls out to them, backtracking and crashing through the maze. She thinks she hears a voice calling to her, but she trips in a hole and crashes to the ground. Worn out and broken, she cries until her watch begins to beep, soft and calming. 
She remembers her mom's advice to never panic in a survival situation, and when she looks at the watch, she sees a compass. Instead of the regular points, however, there are only two, I for in and O for out. She steals herself and heads in. 22. Ollie walks through the maze for hours. Eventually, she hears something approach. It's a hound, sort of. It is large with a strange body and pure white eyes. She remembers those eyes. It's the bus driver. He means to take her to the smiling man, but she makes another deal with him. Food for answers. She feeds him everything she has left, and he agrees to bring back Coco and Brian unharmed. She continues to the center of the maze, where there is a raised platform surrounded by scarecrows. She climbs up and finally confronts the smiling man. It's Seth. I knew it! Time for some answers. First, the scarecrows. Because they have human form but are not living, Seth can use them freely as his servants in both worlds. The fact that they're creepy is just a bonus. <laughs> he made the deal with Linda Webster because the farm was about to go under and she was going to go to prison for fraud. He had his hound warn the kids to weed out any problematic children, clever ones like Ollie, but she persisted. Ollie asks for the way home for everyone, but Seth asks if that's really what she wants. The hound returns with Coco and Brian, and right after that, another voice reaches Ollie's ears, the voice of her mother. Seth can bring her back and let Ollie leave with her mother and two friends, but he will keep the rest. One exit of the maze leads to the real world, but Seth will only show her which one after the deal is struck. Ollie asks if it would be possible to exchange Coco and Brian for two other kids, ones who are scarecrows. Seth says that all that needs to be done is to take the scarecrows to Leth Creek, where they can touch real water instead of mist. Ollie declines the deal. The voice is not her mother, because her mother has been with her this whole time. She begins sprinkling water from her water bottle on the scarecrows approaching the platform, and they start to change. Seth tries to scare her by reminding her that she is still part of the Linda Webster bargain, and if she doesn't make a new one, she will still be trapped. No, Ollie says, because Linda had no right to Ollie's fate, nor any of the others. If Ollie doesn't give Seth power over her, he can't take it. Seth then reminds her that the Scarecrows are the door, uh, because they exist in both worlds, and she needs them in order to go back. Ollie counters by saying that Small Steps also exist in both worlds, since it was published in the real world, but she brought a copy with her. Seth asks if she's willing to bet her life on that, and she is. Checkmate. Seth tells her that he will be back someday, and that if she ever wishes to strike a bargain, he will be there. He then tells her that she must only say the name of his hound for him to come to her. Then he is gone. I don't know if I really have anything to say, except I did, um, I did suspect that the smiling man was Seth. Yeah. Because everyone else was um, so weird and shaky, and he was the only one who felt, like, confident. And, and I was just like, this is the smiling man, isn't it? Right. And, yeah. And that's not from, like, poor writing or anything like that. It's just, like, I've read enough stuff. That right. It's like, I figured it out. And that's actually a sign of good writing when you can figure out, because they're, like, they're like, it's all laid out for you. You can figure it out if it's there. Right. Because I don't, I don't like those, like, no, we're not trick you. Yeah. <laughs> crap and that, those are kind of getting the blowback you know like the tv shows that have been doing that it's like, like oh what? we've been setting this up for seasons and then going ah just kidding like game of thrones mm. yeah i liked how smart it was to be <laughs> i also like nah brian and coco suck can i get these other two yeah guys? so that was what that was we, smart of but her they're scarecrows so how what do we do there it's like oh all you gotta do is sprinkle the water and she's all like psych thanks bitch and like starts sprinkling it on scarecrows I was, there's only one thing I'm kind of disappointed by, but, um, isn't like the, the river Leth, like in mythology, that makes you forget what, if you drink from that river. It doesn't like restore memories, does it? I thought it was. 
Oh, I don't remember. It's in Greek, it's in Greek, <laughs> Which is it's in Greek mythology. So I was sitting there all like, when they're like, like, oh yeah, let's go over to this river and like drink from it. I was like, it's called Leth. Don't do it. And then they did it. and It's fine. I'm like, oh, um, okay. <laughs> well, if I'd been there, we all would have died of dehydration. <laughs> there was something that made this definitely not five stars for me, but I don't know if I can pinpoint what it was. If it was if it did something wrong or if it didn't just have something to push it over. I didn't have like an emotion, strong emotional reaction to it. So it didn't get five, but I really enjoyed it and I will read the next one. Yeah. So I, I, just, I was just like, it's a solid creepy YA story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with smart characters. And I thought it was good plotting. And like you said, the pacing is really, really good. Let's try not to burp. <laughs> the pacing's really blah. <laughs> Feels I like thought the pacing was great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if they're going to call for the dog's help in the next book. Anyway, should we, should we move on? Yeah, let's finish this up. Yeah, let's finish this up. 23. Ollie climbs down and reunites with Brian and Coco. Ollie asks the hound for his name, but that was a trick. He has none. She names him Cerberus. The ghosts of Beth and Kathy Webster approach, along with the Caleb and Jonathan Crows. Ollie thanks Beth for writing the book, and Beth hopes Ollie will keep her story. Now it is her time to rest. A star peeks out from the clouds, and Beth takes the hand of the Jonathan Scarecrow. The ghosts vanish. The Scarecrows turn to dust. Ollie sprinkles water on every Scarecrow. Her class and Mr. Easton return to life, while the other Scarecrows simply turn to dust free from their prisons. The class heads through the corn maze, and at sunrise, they find their way out. 24. Well, I'm, I was confused by something. Okay, but, like, shouldn't, like, the scare the children who, like, the 30 children, like, they didn't die in the fire, they just... I think that was cut to cover up them being gone. So shouldn't the water have, like, restored them? Because they shouldn't actually be dead yet because it was only 30 years ago. So they should be, like, 40-year-old people, maybe? Right. Um, I had that same question, and I just now thought of a possible answer, which is that the bargain never got completed because she didn't get rid of the book. Because that was... Part of her bargain with the Smiling Man was to also destroy the book so that he wouldn't have to deal with the ghosts anymore. And so because... Linda never got rid of the book. No, the this is a was... different bargain. She didn't bargain those children at that school. She didn't even own the farm. Right, yet. no, but that's why I'm saying I think that's the only reason why the kids, the current oh. kids can be restored and nobody it else was, can. it wasn't a good bar. Okay, got it. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Uh, 24. The class comes out of the maze right by the bus, which is now surrounded by police cars and concerned parents. Cerberus returns to the shadows, where the kids reunite with their parents. Ollie hugs her dad and tells him she loves him, and her watch brings up one final message. Love. Love you too, Mom, Ollie whispers. One month later. The night before her sentencing, Linda Webster mysteriously disappears. Ollie has a feeling she made a new deal with the Smiling Man and wonders what it was. The class, minus Ollie, Brian, and Coco, can't remember exactly what happened in the maze, and the three who do remember figure it's better to let them speculate about aliens and government conspiracy. After all, is the truth much better? In early December, Ollie and Coco are battling it out for the title of middle school chess champion. In a surprise upset, Coco takes the title. Mr. Easton locks up for the night, and Ollie and Coco go outside where Brian has been playing pond hockey. Ollie invites her friends over for dinner, and they head off arm in arm. Cute! Cute! And it should have been cheesy. Like, how are they all friends now? It's like, because they had a shared experience that no one else knows about. That's why they're all friends now. So, yeah. I liked it. That was yeah. good. The... I wonder if she's going to rejoin the, the uh, softball team, too, once that becomes the season. When is Is it spring? I realize who I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs>
when they get outside, Miss Webster is weeping hysterically. The scarecrows, and he smiled at me. I couldn't say no. Do you hear me? I couldn't say no. I said no, said Ollie. And I bet I wanted my mom more than you wanted your old farm, even if you were going to fail. And I wrote, oof. That's what happens when someone's kind of weak. I thought it was going to be, when, when the sentence said, like, Miss Webster didn't go to jail, I was like, oh, all that's shrieking about the scarecrows, did she get locked up in a mental hospital? Right. And it's like, no, she just disappeared. I'm like, oh, okay. So, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's small spaces. It's, it stands alone really well. Um, the fact that it is a series is kind of a bonus, and the fact that there's kind of a, a thematic reason for yeah. the series is also really nice. So, I would say, maybe next winter we tackle the second one or something like that Maybe. since we did this one in fall yeah yeah but i thought yeah, it was she... i thought it was pretty good pretty good pretty good yeah yeah, yeah. solid four star range it was more satisfying like so if you're like oh let's get the child horror this is this is way more satisfying than all the lovely bad ones mm-hmm. <laughs> even though i think all the lovely bad ones is a little bit scarier especially when that one particular ghost shows up yeah well also mary downing han's horror is more it's more of just like a paranormal experience in the real world, whereas this is straight up like adding in a a horror fantasy layer to it. The fact that it's stronger is just because I, I think the it was just really tight. Yeah. Loved it. Good job. Uh, yeah. So that is, uh, that's Small Spaces. And next month, uh, we're going to take a look at Pumpkin Heads. Yeah. Uh, but Pumpkin Heads by, uh, Rainbow, uh, Roel and, uh, Faith Aaron Hicks is another graphic novel. It's pretty new. Yeah. So we're going to be looking at that for November. People who work at a pumpkin farm and it's a graphic novel. Yes. So it's a shortish episode, but we don't fill it out with an interview because Rainbow Rail got too much else to do. <laughs> Technically speaking, Faith Aaron Hicks has not responded positive or negative yet. Technically. Okay. We're totally not getting her on, but just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so... Does it say love or run? Run! He <laughs> <laughs> wants me to go join the fun run. <laughs> that might just finally be over, though. I don't hear anything. All right, this has been... Hello, fellow kids. Do it. Do it. Do the whole thing. It was produced and... What do you say? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Written and produced by Josh. It was hosted by Josh and Mara. Music music by Ben Ash. You can find him at benash.com. We read books. (laughs) We are on... Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) We're on Stitcher and we are on... SoundCloud and uh, iTunes. I tune out when you do Which, this. Do we need? Do we have to change that? Isn't it now just like Apple, 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 Apple? We're on apples. <laughs> I've been doing so much Apple lately. Oh, that's the season for it. Hey, I got you some Granny Smith. I like honey crisp. Got the green stuff. <laughs> Don't eat that green stuff. Uh, yeah, we're everywhere. We're also on Goodreads, so you can see... Uh, we're, not, we're not on Spotify, so don't say everywhere. Does Spotify do podcasts? Yeah, they do. Okay. Yeah, I've that's where I before, listen. I, that's where I listen to all of mine. I listen to my favorite murder on there. Yeah. How do I, we get on Spotify? I think you might have to pay. I don't want to pay. We don't make any money yet. We don't make any money. Guys, so you can make give us money. Ch- just full stop. No reason. Just give us money. <laughs> Send a check or money order, too. <laughs> 
No, no one does that anymore. <laughs> I just remember that the commercials for stuff when I was a kid. So I had to check our money order too, and then they give like the address. What is a money order? It is you get like it from the bank, mm-hmm. and it kind of acts as a check, but um, it's more like a debit card because when they cash in or whatever, it automatically deducts money from your account. And uh, we actually had to start giving money orders to our housing whatever when I was married because he bounced a rent check and they're like, we don't want personal checks from you anymore. We want a money order or cash. And I'm like, we're not, I'm not letting this idiot walk around with cash. So we're doing money. So a money order is like, it takes the money out of the account right away. So it knows for a fact that it has it. Mm-hmm. And then a check is like, it's just assuming that when they cash the check, you'll have that money. Money order kind of works like a gift card. Okay. Money, so money's it's already on prepaid, there. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's already deducted from your account. It's on the thing, and you give it to whoever you need to give it to. Money order. Why don't they teach more of this stuff? They should. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had our account. They don't teach. They don't teach. <laughs> they don't teach. They taught me how to balance a checkbook in third grade or something like that. But they never taught me actual finances. They never taught me how to deal with like insurance and things like that. They don't teach you basically any like why why how how to read a bus schedule dude that is that is the craziest thing that like buses don't tell you like the first time you get on bus you don't know what's going on no you just like everybody just assumes that you know what's happening when you get on the bus and it's like excuse me this is my first time on a bus i don't know where i'm going or how much to pay or why don't you have seatbelts? like you know like they why don't they teach things and then they're like really angry about it too and everyone else is all like oh just sit down you know I know, I just feel impatient with the people who's like, I've never done this before. I'm like, why didn't you come with someone smarter who's been on it before who can explain it to you? But yeah, it's it's overwhelming when you, you don't. you're like, okay, I, I have the card, so what do I do? Do I swipe something? Right. Because I remember I've been on buses before where you don't swipe it, you just hold it up for the bus driver to see. Interesting. And then if you try to swipe it, they go like, don't, 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 don't. Right. And he's like, how was I supposed to not know? Like, everywhere else you swipe your fucking card. Like, how did I... Yeah. They really should teach things. And I don't know how to read train timetables. No no clue. It is completely not... Like, my mom couldn't figure it out either. And she's got a freaking master's degree. So, <laughs> she just called the train station and was like, what do I do? <laughs> Take me home, please. Country roads. Hello, country roads. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, is this John Denver? Okay, that's really scary. <laughs> How did I reach you? I was trying to reach the train station. <laughs> that's so stupid. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>